Now, I do have to give this disclaimer. Um, today is going to be extremely rough. <laughs> it, it, it's going to be extremely rough because, all right, let's put it this way. Have you ever had somebody drive with you who was like a passenger driver? Look, look, look here. You turn here. Anybody ever had that? Does it annoy you? Okay. Um, sometimes the benefit of having somebody with you is they could see what you can't see. On the road, they're called blind spots. So it's possible that there are things about me that is hurting me that I can't see. There are things around me that is hurting me that I cannot see. We're going to talk about a very spicy topic on this afternoon. We're going to do the sex trap part two. Because when it comes to our marriages, our relationships, and our decisions, both God and the enemy have a desire for you to commit to. And so what we're going to do on this afternoon, I know it's the week of Thanksgiving, but y'all know I, I don't adjust my messages to holidays. I follow what the Holy Spirit put in my heart. So we're going to try to get an accurate biblical perspective of God's view of sex and intimacy versus what the culture has said, pornography has said, your girlfriends have said, your boyfriend has said. We're going to go to the text. And we're going to see what God has to say about it. And how has the enemy been using this as a trap? This is coming old, young, black, white, Hispanic, Puerto Rican, Latina, Asian, European, Australian. It doesn't matter. All of us will have an opportunity to obey God in this area or to obey our flesh. And I'm praying that on this afternoon I penetrate the noise. That the culture has been trying to get us to believe in. This is the crazy thing. Culture is trying to groom our children to follow the perversion. Grooming us, discipling them in elementary school, trying to formulate curriculums to groom the next generation. Not just Generation Z, but also Generation Alpha. That's my babies. That generation, we want to groom them to normalize perversion so that when you're surrounded by it, you feel as though it's okay to adapt to it. We're going to expose some stuff on this afternoon. We're going to touch some uncomfortable subjects, but I'm just a man who refuses to preach popularity at the expense of God not being pleased with me. I'd rather hurt somebody's feelings for a temporary moment and it causes repentance and you come to Jesus than to say what you like. You like me, but God's not pleased. <laughs> I'm great with winning souls, but I don't want to win souls and I lose mine. And I never want to be a man that's great at delivering the word, but poor at the word delivering me. All right? So I need you to like buckle your, your spiritual seatbelt. Because it's going to get kind of real, okay? I, I want to read two passages of Scripture. They're going to be our foundational text. And we have some talking that we're going to do before I exegete these and provide you with an accurate biblical version of hermeneutics for these particular passages of Scripture. So let's go to Matthew chapter 19. And then we're going to go to Luke chapter 6. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. And Luke chapter 4, one verse... Verse 46, and we're going to break these down together throughout our sermonic journey. If you do not have a tangible Bible, it is okay. It will be projected for you on the screen. Today, I don't care about golf claps. I never have, but I, I don't really care about it because I want to bring healing in this area. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. If you're ready, shout, I'm ready. I'm ready. Jesus says, haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, somebody say original, original. Kingdom, kingdom agenda. Okay, so Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and 
female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. We're going to break that down a little later. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says a very convicting, simple statement. He says in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So one passage, Jesus is saying, I want you to consider the original kingdom agenda when it comes to relationships and marriage. And then he's saying, okay, after you consider that, why are you calling me Lord if you don't do that? You don't do what I say. One of the most amazing, powerful gifts that God originally designed to be shared between husband and wife. Emphasis on husband and wife. Not boo, not bae, not zaddy, not your sugar daddy, not side piece not mistress, not boyfriend, not girlfriend, the original kingdom agenda. Jesus says from the beginning, this powerful, amazing gift that God designed to be shared between husband and wife is the gift of sex. Now, on your wedding day, everybody's supposed to bring a gift. There's always somebody who doesn't. But on your wedding day, Everybody is supposed to bring a gift, and God does too. You know what his gift is? Sex. That's the best gift. <laughs> his gift's going to top all the plates, all the money. His is the best gift. Now, let's go ahead and set the record straight. Sex is a God idea. Sex is a God design. Hugh Hefner did not come up with this when he was alive. Playboy didn't come up with this. Sports Illustrated didn't come up with this. Whatever hub you go to, Lord have mercy, whatever hub you go to that you watch in secret and stimulate yourself, whatever OnlyFans page that you have or OnlyFans page that you lurk on, I told you it's going to get real. They are not the creators and the designer of sex. God is. So if you're asking yourself the question, why are we having this conversation in church? It's because it is a God design. And when we come together, we learn about Yahweh. And he has a design. Now watch this. Whenever God gives man a gift, by default, the enemy attempts to influence mankind to pervert it. Say it one more time. Whenever and whatever God gives man, the enemy always attempts to influence. The reason I say influence is because all the devil can do is present and persuade. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He didn't unbuckle your spouse, um, um, unbuckle your blouse. He didn't cause your zipper to come down. Let's stop blaming the devil. There was no earthquake. earthquake. You were like, oh my God, I don't know what's happening. How did we get here? <laughs> Whatever God gives, the enemy tries to influence mankind to pervert it. Give you natural examples all day. God gave us plants that we could use as medication. Somebody say medicine. medicine. But what do we do? We take the, the plants and use them to get high. See, we take the plants and formulate some substance abuse pattern. Yes, God gave it. We pervert it. Put my foot on the gas a little more. God gave us food for the purpose of anatomy nourishment. It is fuel for the body. We grab it and what do we do? We add sugar to it, hormones to it. Come on, preservatives to it. To do what? It causes heart disease. It produces cancer. God gave it, but what did mankind do? We perverted it. 
It's the same thing when it comes to sex. God created it. It is a God idea. It is a God design. I don't care if your teenagers are in here. They're hearing about stuff that you don't even know that they're hearing about yet. They're already exposed to this stuff. What I'm trying to do is give you a biblical perspective first so that porn won't give it to you first. And now you have to unlearn for 30 years what you, ex- what you, what you were exposed to at 12 years old. We, we perverted. God's design for sex was for it to be covenant pleasure between husband and and spouse is for the purpose of connection that that's that's oneness and it's also for the purpose of multiplying your bloodline which is why I tried to get us to understand throughout this series before you lay your body down with somebody ask yourself the question do I want this individual to be the person who is sponsoring my bloodline it's not just moaning and groaning. It's the person that you are choosing to establish what's going to remain in your blood and how you're going to build your house. God has a design and he has principles when it comes to sex. Now, here's the crazy thing. Mankind perverts what God originally designed for a living. <laughs> There are people who are in business and industries and get paid to pervert a God design. Some way, this has infected and affected the followers of Jesus to such a degree to where we don't even see the perversion as pollution to our spiritual growth. Because what hell loves to do is to get us to normalize perversion. Normalize perversion. This conversation that we're having on this afternoon is not to condemn. We don't do that because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But this conversation is for the purpose of educating us what is God's thoughts on this. What does God desire about this? Because like I told us last year, being a Christian does not mean you like Christ. Being a Christian means you are Christ-like. And a lot of people are cool with rocking his brand until it's time to live out his teaching. Father, would you cause us to have hearts on this afternoon that are like clay? Fresh clay from a spring or fall shower rain so that you can mold our hearts and that you can get us to get as close as we can back to the original kingdom agenda. We all messed up. That's why you sent your son. This is not to condemn, but it can be to convict and to recalibrate so that we can correct our living and our lifestyle. God, I know that there are several people under the sound of my voice and who are watching online who have been begging you for deliverance, who've been seeking you to be free from this, and they cannot shake the lust. They cannot shake the desires. I'm praying, God, that you will anoint me as your oracle to break chains for my brother and my sister who have been battling with this in their singleness and even in marriage. Those who are struggling to come together. Because we have a distorted view of your design and your idea. I'm asking that you do it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who agrees to that prayer would just shout in the room, amen. Amen. Can I get everybody, let's say this confession together. And everybody watch it online. I want you to put this in the room in all caps. Let's say this. Father, Father, open my eyes and make me aware of blind spots. I don't want to make decisions that form cycles. One more time. Father, open my eyes and make me aware of blind spots. I don't want to make decisions that form cycles. If you agree with that, would you put your hands together in the house? I don't want to make decisions that form cycles. Sex is... A God design, therefore, it is a God idea. However, whatever God gives man, 
The enemy always seeks and attempts to influence us to pervert it. This is why I believe, who is about to get real? This is why I believe one of the tactics of the enemy is to attach great sensuality to counterfeits. Great sensuality to pawns. Great sensuality to distractions. Great sensuality to life wreckers. It's so good because it's so lethal. It's lethal to your peace department. It's lethal to your covenant. It's lethal to your joy. It's lethal to your destiny. It's lethal to your ministry. Nobody cares, sir, how good you can preach if you have no character. So good because it is so lethal. And so now we become people who can't see things through spirituality. We only see it through sensuality. <laughs> I can't even see a brother as a brother. Matter of fact, some sisters will get offended if you're a man and call her sis. <laughs> because your beard looks good. Your body looks good. You don't recognize all the stuff he's battling with. Why? Because we're seeing him through sensuality and not spirituality. The same thing for brothers. We can't even look at women and see them from a spiritual perspective versus a sensual perspective. If more men had a spiritual perspective, we will be able to see the only reason she's that fast is because she's broken. The only reason she's offering her body to me like this is because she needs Jesus. The only reason that she's talking all of this sexual game to me is because she doesn't know who she is in Christ. But instead of us viewing it like that, we view it as an avenue. <laughs> this is easy. This is going to be a fun time tonight because we see through sensuality and not spirituality because that is what sex does. It clouds judgment. And whenever your judgment is clouded, your discernment will be crippled. Talk, man. Whenever your judgment is clouded, your discernment will be crippled. So you can't see that this is a devil because of how they make you feel. Sex is a God design, and it is a God idea. However, whenever God gives something to us, the enemy always tries to get mankind to pervert it. And I know that this is true, and I know that this is real, because culture has impacted us so much so to where we are labeling godly principles and godly ethics old school and unrealistic. Pastor, don't nobody do that no more, man. <laughs> that, that, that's old school. Don't nobody do that. And then your girlfriends will start talking to you. Girl, you got to stop with all these unrealistic standards. Now, I broke down. Standard and preference are different. Standard, he must love Jesus. Preference, he must be six feet. Difference. Okay? <laughs> it's like, girl, you, you got to stop with all these unrealistic standards. You 37. If you got married right now, and if y'all had, if you got pregnant, you would be considered high risk already. So you better settle for whoever takes interest in you. Because what you're viewing as godliness is unrealistic. Pastor, don't, no women honor husbands no more, man. That was for like Esther and, and Ruth. Maybe Tanisha, she might honor you. But these wives, they a different breed out here today. They, they don't honor men anymore. They, they honor themselves. They don't do that anymore. That's old school. That's unrealistic. Nobody waits to get to the altar, especially if we have messed up already. Why would we get it right and we already did it? I mean, like the honeymoon, we already had the honey. So why are we going to wait until we get to the altar? Nobody does that anymore. And I'm trying to convince a generation what you call and what what one man calls unrealistic is another man's character. Yeah. Did y'all hear what I just said? 
What you consider unrealistic is another man's character. Tanisha and I, our marriage is proof of that. The guy that she was with before me, there were some things that he labeled unrealistic. But what was unrealistic to him was Jerry's character. It's just that we need more teaching like this, more preaching like this, and to cause for people to have a fear of God once again so that we have a relationship with him and we are pursuing faithfulness to God, not perfection. He's perfect. We're not perfect, but we are striving to be faithful to a perfect God. If he or she does not strive to be faithful to God, what makes you think they're going to be loyal to you? The creator of the universe, the person who gives them oxygen, the person who gives them life, they don't even consider his decrees and his sayings and his principles. What makes you think the person that you're with is going to consider your feelings? That is old school. And I, I was having this conversation the other day. Why don't people follow the principles of God? Why don't we pray? And I'm sure if we were to do a poll around the room, some people would say it's because the gospel has not penetrated our heart deep enough. and They don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's why they don't pray. Okay, I hear you. They, they, they don't seek God because we're stiff-necked people, just like the word tells us. And I was like, you know, I, what if it's not that deep? <laughs> it's so simple. Holy Spirit put this in my heart. You know why people don't pray? Because they haven't seen enough of their prayers get answered. Coming in 2023, we're doing a series on prayer because I promise you, if you were to pray and see what you pray happen, if you were to pray and see a pattern of God answering your prayers, you couldn't convince me we will be people who don't pray. It's because I see when I prayed, God fixed it. I see when I prayed, God listened and heard my prayer. When you have a pattern of seeing what fasting and prayer and devotion and worship and seeking God actually does, you'll do it more. The problem is we're not seeing no results. Why would you do a workout regimen if you see no change in your body? And you've been doing it for like six months. You would question the regimen too. So I believe we don't know how to pray for certain things and what prayer to assign to certain seasons. This is a prayer of thanksgiving. This is a prayer of warfare. This is a prayer of petition. This is a prayer of supplication. It's not just God is great, God is good. My people don't know how to pray. And since they don't know how to pray, they're praying and nothing's happening. So they don't have prayer lives. But, but start to have a people who pray and see it work. When we have all night prayer, everybody will be in here. Why? Because I remember, girl, I prayed for this and God did that. And I remember I prayed for this and God did that. And so now when you see a resume of prayers being answered, even the times when they don't get answered, you know that I could trust him. I could trust him. This is a God design. And see, this is one of the benefits of singleness. I'm about to hit marriage hard in a second. But this is one of the benefits of singleness. It provides you space to unlearn. It provides you space to detox. If you desire marriage, your singleness is where you use this time to be pure. And understand, purity is not just not having sex. Purity is the resistance of defilement. There are really only three categories married problems have. Marital problems only really fall in three categories. I know there are tons of books and articles, but it could be this, it could be that. I believe there's only three. Y'all want to know what they are? I'm not convinced. Let me go over to the left side. Do y'all want to know what the marital problems are? There are only three things. The first one problem that exists in marriage is when they were single problems that were left unchecked. This is so good, y'all. Single problems that were left unchecked because married problems 
become single problems when they weren't dealt with in the single state. Like, oh, are y'all ready for like the next seven minutes? Okay. Like, maybe the sex with your spouse isn't whack. Could it be it's just your flesh told you what to do the whole time while you were single? Your flesh was boss the whole time while you were single. Horny? Go get your son. Aroused? Masturbate. Get your rose. Get your bullet. We talking about it in church. Get your vibrator. Use your hand. Watch this image. I don't think it's a coincidence why Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What do you use when you're watching porn and masturbating? Not taking it literal, but Jesus is saying, it is this serious. It is this serious. So your flesh tells you what to do. Use your rose. Use your bullet. And this is the thing. Maybe this sex isn't whack. It's just your husband can't compete to a machine. Talk. This brother is trying to throw his back out. Trying to satisfy you. Is this too real? He is throwing his back out, trying to compete with level four, level six, or whatever speed your instrument was. But he was never designed to be a machine. He just don't know what he's doing. No, you got used to perversion. I see. The enemy knows that this has neurological implications and you are literally training your mind. Matter of fact, let's put it this way. You are discipling the brain to tie pleasure to a virtual image. Oh, it's about to get more real in here. You are literally training your mind to respond to virtual images, machines, and your hand. And so now we have husbands who will project their issues on wife, on, her, on his wife. They don't please me. I really can't get solid with her. Um, sir, you solid when you watch porn and masturbate, though. Okay. So this means it's not a hardware issue. It's a software issue. Talk, man. Come on, Holy Spirit. She doesn't arouse me. It's not a hardware issue. Sometimes it is. I'm not minimizing those that legit have a blood flow issue. I'm not talking about that. But you are stimulated when you're watching certain things, and you are aroused when it's another woman. I just can't get aroused with her. And we'll blame her. <laughs> Because your brain has been discipled on tying virtual images in my hand to now when I have a real woman, I'm not aroused. Unless she's a different one. But the same woman every day for the rest of your life, we don't think forever anymore. When we, mar when we marry, we don't think forever. We think, let me see. <laughs> This is so good, y'all. Let, let me see. And I'm like, okay, do we not know that sex is supposed to be a serving experience, not a robbery of pleasure at my gain and your loss? It's a serving experience. I'm serving her. She is serving me all for the purpose of us pleasing one another. It gets really good when y'all are competing on serving one another the best. You like that? I'm going to serve you this way. Okay, I'm going to serve you this way. It was not designed by God to be a robbery of pleasure for your gain but their loss. God's original intent for sex was for it to be a discovery, not an exhibit. God's original design for sex was for it to be a discovery, not a museum. I like this one. I like that artifact. I like this one. I like this. What if they don't? Is it really whack? 
Or is it the whole time while you were single, your flesh told you what to do? There was never a time when you mastered self-discipline. There was never a time when you dedicated a pattern in your life to exuberate this fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Because even in marriage, you still need self-control. Marriage doesn't cure lust. If it did, adultery wouldn't exist. And sex doesn't keep men. If it did, all prostitutes would be married. Have you ever dedicated a time in your life where you told your flesh no? Where you told your flesh no? I'm boss. When you told your flesh, we're doing this God's way. Has there ever been a time? Because truthfully, I tell you, when you come to this altar, whether I marry you or whoever else marries you, just because you say I do does not mean your flesh is like we do too. <laughs> Y'all laughing? I'm so serious. If your flesh could talk, back to you. It would tell you, what do you mean I do? I've been telling you what to do for the last 30, 20, 40, 50, however old you are when you get married, years. You may say you do with your mouth, but I say what we're going to do with your body because you have never had a time in your life where you wanted to get self-control because sometimes love is not always seen by what you do. Sometimes it's seen by what you don't do. And the beauty of singleness is you have the time to practice self-control. And it becomes a problem in marriage when I never dedicated a time in my life to have self-control. And now when she desires it or he desires it, I can't remove my experiences because I never went to war with them without you. That's the first reason. The second reason or the second category of marital problems is both or one spouse is not willing to unlearn. I'm not willing to unlearn my way for Jesus' way. This falls under everything, communication, spending, faithfulness, finances. What is God's way? If you don't unlearn Saul, you never become Paul. I'm unwilling to unlearn what I thought husbands do. I'm unwilling to unlearn what I thought wives do. Even nature knows this. A butterfly has to unlearn the comforts of crawling if it's ever going to embrace the breeze of its wings. Why are you cutting your wings to crawl? Unlearn the comforts of crawling so that I can experience the breeze of a new altitude. They're not willing to unlearn. And this one is huge. Third party influences. The third reason. These are really the only three categories. There are single problems that, that were left unchecked. Uh, both or one spouse is unwilling to unlearn, meaning I am unwilling to listen to Jesus and his decrees. I want to do things my way. Or there's a third party influence. Your mother-in-law has too much of an opinion in your covenant. Your father-in-law, your girlfriends, your side piece. Third party influences are termites to covenants. Why? My pastor, are we dealing with this in church? It's because many of us are fighting this in secret. We won't raise our hands and expose it. We don't need to. But we're dealing with it in secret. And I've learned this. Fear gospel doesn't work. You don't do this, you're going to burn. Fear gospel only works as long as the fear is there. As soon as the fear is gone and you've done this and nothing has happened, you remove all impact of the gospel. What works is educating us intimacy and biblical intelligence. It's not just, don't do it. Why not? Gosh, I wish I had this, y'all. I wish I had this when I was in high school and college. You know how many times I went to altar calls? You know how many times I was at youth institutes and youth camps thinking I'm not saved because of all these desires I have? And I'm praying, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. Take it away. God, take it away. I don't want this. I don't want And I'm starting to think one day, hold on, you do want that. <laughs> and you're going to need that one day. 
And so this might mess up your theology. What if I told you that sexual desires are God-given? Gosh, this will help somebody be free. If I would have heard this, because remember, sex is a gift that God gives in marriage. So is sin for you to desire a gift from God? The problem is 90s R&B got to us first. Yeah. The problem is that girlfriend got to you first. Pornography got to you first. Time Warner Cable Channel 77 got to you first. Oh, let's go. Let's see how real people. BET After Dark. Y'all remember that? <laughs> BET Uncut. That got to you first. Luther Vandross. <laughs> that's, that's not my generation. That, <laughs> we didn't listen to Luther. We were more like genuine, my pony. We were more that. <laughs> not Luther. I could. Anyway, we get, y'all making me get off this. Get back in the spirit, sir. Back in the spirit. <laughs> the only difference between a Christ follower and an unbeliever is one yields to the temptation and the other one yields to the Holy Spirit. Only difference. We have the same thoughts, same desires, same cravings. Just one of us fights them and the other one drinks from the cup. We see the cup and sometimes we, we thirsty too. But we're allowing our living water to quench our thirst. More than a man ever can, more than a woman ever can, more than a career ever can. I see it just like you. I'm not blind. I see fine. Don't you think I'm so spiritual? I don't see fine. I see fine. But I also see spirit. And I recognize she could be as fine as you think she could be and off in her head and a trap for you in your soul. He fine. What else do we got? Fine changes. Gravity causes this thing to change. You remember the girl who was fine in high school or the guy who was fine in high school? Look at him now. <laughs> Jesus says, haven't you read, that's real for somebody. Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them both. Now here's about to get real. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. The two become one flesh. The two mm, become one flesh. So the original kingdom agenda was for you to become one with one, not one with several. Okay, so this means the original, somebody say original. original, the original kingdom agenda was for our body count to not be above one. I know we messed up. I know we've fallen short from the pulpit to the pew. I know we missed the mark. That's why we celebrate and we're so thankful about the blood of Jesus. Because through the blood, I'm forgiven. I know that no man's perfect. No man is righteous. This is not to condemn, but I'm just convinced a wise person, when you make a wrong turn, you immediately try to learn how to get back on the right route. A foolish person just keeps on driving. We all made a lot of wrong turns. But what I'm trying to get us to see is if your body count is five, it should not get above six because who you marry will be your last. If your body count is, 20, is 22, there's no judgment. It just should not get above 23. The last person that you're going to have sex with is your spouse. I know it's not normal, but it's the original kingdom agenda. Since from the beginning, the, the, the two become one. He says, okay, um, your body is a temple. Your, your body belongs to me. So God's design is sex is supposed to be the transportation method that, spon that sponsors your bloodline. God has a design for sex. Sex is supposed to be shared between two people who are in covenant whose gender is male and female. Okay? Any other gender does not, 
have the ability to be fruitful and multiply. That's not judgment. That's not hate speech. This is going to the original kingdom agenda and says the male and the female shall become one flesh. That is God's design for sex. I don't care how popular it is. I don't care if the White House is a rainbow color. I don't care if your school has a hallway of rainbows. The biblical definition of a rainbow was God's covenant sign that he would not flood the earth again. That is what the sign of the rainbow is. It's not an organization. It's not a clique. It's a sign God made that said, I'm never going to flood the earth again. I'm just preaching this because some of us may not know. We have a wide audience here. We have the unchurched, the church, people who never heard about Jesus, people who heard me on TikTok, people who grew up from vacation Bible school, and this is the first time some people have ever heard this type of conversation. So I have to hit every chair where the message could be effective. Okay? So this is God's design for covenant sex. Now I'm going to mess you up. When we do it in covenant, that is sex that God could bless. See, some of us have never had blessed sex. <laughs> I'm talking about sex that pleases God. Can y'all believe this? Sex that is holy to him. No matter how much y'all getting it, God can favor it. You don't have to worry about missing your cycle. You don't have to worry about an STD. You don't have to worry about guilt. You don't have to worry about shame. I can bless it. Well, God is trying to get us to understand this afternoon. Don't you want me to bless your sex? Some of us can't even imagine if you thought what you had in sin was good. Imagine when God is blessing it. <laughs> even in covenant, if it's not good, it's because one of those three categories. There's some single things that were left unchecked. I'm unwilling to unlearn some things. Or there's a third party influence. God has a design for sex. Yeah, we, we, we just making love. Okay. If God is love and he's not in what y'all doing, what y'all making? <laughs> You're not making love. Making like strongholds maybe. <laughs> making a soul infection maybe. But you're not making love. God's like, that's me. I'm love and I'm not in that. I'm not in that. God has a design. And I think the biggest issue is we don't know how to view or say it this way. We don't know what's not ours. Okay? Your body is not yours. You're not your own. So if my body is not mine, surely hers isn't. Let's go a little deeper. For you to touch something that is not yours is called trespassing. The enemy wants us to get used to trespassing so we can like what we had when we trespassed and we'll never see it as transgressions. Whew, so good. It's trespassing. What does that mean? It means it's property that does not belong to you. What is transgression? It's to cross the line. Look, let me give you Bible because y'all looking real crazy. Let me give you Bible. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples? Can I get everybody to do this? This is a temple. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body is a temple. The reason we can't be faithful is because we fell in love with what we had in trespassing. Your body is a temple, not a hotel. Temples are holy and sacred. Hotels, anybody could check in. You know what else? They could also check out. <laughs> you know what else, Amber? They can make reservations. When it's a hotel, anybody could check in. When it's a temple, it is, it is holy and it is sacred. The two become one 
flesh. In Luke chapter 6, when Jesus says, why did you call me Lord and don't do what I say? I want us to understand something. We put measurements of, on sin, okay? Carl, put this, this bar graph on the stage, on the screen for me. We see measurements of sin. So we will measure this sin is like this, this sin is like that, that sin is like this. But now remember, he sits high and he looks low. Carl, show what the image looks like if you look from above. If you look from above, they all look the same. Is this making sense? We'll put measurements on it, but since he sits high and looks low to him, they're all the same. They're absolutely all the same. He says, why do you call me Lord? Lord is capitalized in your Bible, and it refers to Yahweh, meaning the self-existing one, the redemptive God, the ruler of the universe. So in other words, Jesus is saying, why do you call me ruler if you don't let me rule? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Really? Is everybody Savior? Not everybody's Lord. Why are you carrying yourself as though you own you? Let me help us understand it. When you lease a car from budget or hertz, you handle it a little differently because it's not yours and you know you have to give it back. In fact, they will tell you how you need to bring it back. This is so good, y'all. How to bring it back. Why? Because it's not yours. Everything you have, church family, your time, your money, your wealth. I've been to several funerals. I would probably be, I probably have been to more funerals than anybody in here except my parents. This is what we do for a living. I've never seen a hearse have a U-Haul behind it. Have you? Never seen it. Never seen it. Everything you have, you're leasing. Even your body. It's not yours. It's not yours. This is why arrogance is so stupid to me. Especially in the pulpit. I'm like, all we all are is a hunk of dust. All of us. Black dust, white dust. All of us are dust. Uneducated dust, dirty dust. Small dust, skinny dust. All of us are just dirt, which means sometimes we have a propensity to live dirty. Because <laughs> we come from dirt. But God says, I view this once it's redeemed as my temple. I live on the inside of you and your body is not yours. Let's look at this from the, the Message Bible. Luke chapter 6, same, same exact book, same chapter. Verse 6 in the Message Bible. It says, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. <laughs> These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. All throughout the text, we see this language of our God being the Lord of hosts. Anybody ever heard that before? Host, the Lord of hosts is used in the Old Testament over 260 times. Host, the Lord of hosts is transferred, the word host, Sabbath, which means armies, is a reference to the angelic armies of heaven. Thus, another way of saying he's the Lord of hosts is he's the God of armies of heaven. He's a general, not a president. Nobody voted him in. Nobody can impeach him. Nobody can vote on his principles or his laws or his decrees. He's a king. He's the Lord of hosts. All throughout the fabric of Scripture, we see this. I'm going to just show you a few passages. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of, what's that word? Host. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Psalms 24, verse 10, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, 
And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, another definition of host is someone who has invited you to receive what they prepared for you. Y'all come here. All the people that I asked, I need my my audience uh, to see this, where you could get a visual demonstration. While they're coming, y'all just come. It doesn't matter where you sit. doesn't matter where you sit. Bring your pots with you. Has anybody ever been invited to a dinner party? Birthday party? Okay. Where my menu's at? Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Clap it up for my volunteers, church family. <clears throat> you just have a seat wherever. You got to put those pots under the table. We don't, we don't need to see that yet. All right. So when you are invited, somebody say invited. invited. When you are invited to this type of gathering, the host gives you what you could select. Meaning, these are the only things you can have. <laughs> I'm giving this to you. These and all of this stuff that you see is what I'm offering you. So, as I sit here as a guest, I can't ask for Popeyes. I can't ask where is turkey leg hut at? Because you are invited, you don't get the privilege to demand what you want. Okay? That's when you are invited. Now watch this. When I'm the host, I tell everybody at this table, this is what you can have. This is what you can have. Male and female. That's what you can have. Together with your husband. That's what you can have. And you don't argue because you accepted the invitation. So as the Lord of hosts is looking at the climate of our world, he's like, okay, you know what's going on? They're treating sex like a potluck. Y'all put all your pots on the table. Y'all ever been to a potluck? A potluck. Now, a host, I decide what y'all going to have. A guest, this is the only things that you are offered. A potluck, everybody bringing things from their own house. Everybody. So what's happening when it comes to sex is there's a potluck of pornography. There's a potluck of what your mama said. There's a potluck of society. There's a potluck of culture. And so now we are confused. We're confused because when it comes to a God idea, when it comes to what he is hosting, we're viewing it as a potluck versus versus him being the host. Now, here's the thing about a potluck. Sometimes if you go around and eat everybody's plate, (laughs) I told you I was going to get rough. (laughs) You eat everybody's plate, you start to get a little nauseous. Something was spicy, something was sweet. Something was sour. Something came with a stronghold. Something messed my mind up. Something messed my thought patterns up. Something messed up my personality. Something messed up my mood. Something messed up my day. Now I got to get off social media. Now I get, why? Because I'm viewing what the Lord of hosts is calling an invitation as a potluck. And you know what we have in churches? Potluck gospel. I'm going to tell you the Jesus that makes you happy. I'm going to tell you the Jesus that sends you to hell. I'm going to tell you the Jesus all about rules and all about religion and all about laws and all about decrees. I'm going to tell you that Jesus. And so we leave church confused about God because we never look at his for ourselves. That's so good, y'all. So I ask you, when it comes to sex and intimacy... Is it what the host gave you? Or is it a potluck? And here's the crazy thing about a potluck, Amber. I don't even know if you can cook. (laughs) Matt, I don't know if you got any skills here, bro. So how am I going to let a perverted chef 
teach me about God's design. That's what we're doing. We have sex experts today. I'm going to tell you, that's a real thing, research, a sex expert. I'm going to tell you how to make your dish good, and it wasn't even something I cooked. <laughs> it's, it's a God design. So from his menu, he's like, okay, I'm not serving male and male. That's not on the menu. If you don't want married, and that's not a part of your flight plans, you don't have to get married. I'm serving that, okay? Uh, I'm serving male and female, but I'm not serving female or female. That's not, that's, that's not an option for you. Well, I don't like it. You said you want to come to my table. Right? You can leave. I don't want you to. The reason God hates sin so much is because of what it does to us. It hurts him to see how much it hurts you because he loves you. You ever have somebody you know on substances? It hurts you to see your uncle like that. It hurts you to see your auntie like that. And it hurts God. Loves the sinner, hates the sin. Why? Because of what it does to you and it keeps us apart. That's, that's not on my selection for you. And when I say selection, I'm not saying that God gives you a book of options, but you can decide if you want to be married or not. You can. But if, if you're going to do it, this is how I say do it. Does this make sense? Yes. Now, I want to end with this particular part. You guys can have a seat. I ain't going to have time to do everything. Thank you all so much. Clap it up for my volunteers. You can leave everything. Just leave everything. Just help them down for me, Matt. I, I want to show us the, these few points because I don't want to just reveal the sex trap but then not give principles on how to break free from it. Um, and this is something the enemy has been using on believers. I want you to strongly consider that maybe it's not just how fine you are. I want you to consider it's not that God is trying to keep you from experiencing this pleasure. But could it be there's a way that God wants it done because he designed it? And the reason it's a struggle for us to view it from his perspective is because we're surrounded by potluck friends. Okay? So I'm like, ask questions, bro. Ride or die with me. Ask questions. Why, why, where are we going? And if it don't make sense, jump out. It, it's better for you to deal with the scabs of a breakup than for you to deal with the misery of a soul infection. I'm not talking about divorce. I'm talking about your singleness. Okay? So number one, how the enemy uses the sex trap. Number one, he uses the sex trap to keep strongholds in the blood. Okay? Because the main transportation method for generational strongholds is sex. It's not just moaning and groaning. It is literally a seating chart for the demonic strongholds. Okay? Every, if you really think about this, it's kind of messing me up this morning. And God spoke to me last night. I told Tanisha at 1 in the morning. I said, okay, God is speaking to me. I'm going to have to do a whole sermon on abortion. A whole sermon. Not just a cliff note. Because I'm seeing this. Almost every form of evil is orbiting around sex. Let's, let's think about it. Adultery. Okay. Human trafficking. Sex trafficking. Molestation. Rape. Pornography. Child pornography. You see what I'm saying? Murder. Abortion. And so I was like, okay, I feel real heavy. This was like what? One, well, I don't know where Tanisha. It was like one in the morning. I said... I feel like God is telling me this is not a point. This is a whole sermon. Whole sermon. I don't know if it's going to be in the Planted series or the Trap House series that we're going to do in 2023, but it's a whole sermon. Now, I want to say this for clarity. What I'm about to say is not for sisters who already have committed abortions, okay? Because under the blood, you are forgiven. The text tells us the only sin that God does not forgive is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Okay? So this is not condemnation. This is for those who are currently considering it. 
and who will consider it. I did some extensive research on this. There are a lot of different things that people say, well, what about medical issues? Okay, medical complications is 1.7%. It's 1.7%. Not saying this, it doesn't happen, but it's highly unlikely. 87% of all abortions are for unmarried women from the ages of 15 to 44. This comes from the CDC and the National Center of Biotechnology Information. It's not just Jerry giving opinions. That's not the norm. What is God's perspective on it? Not your opinions, not your potluck, not what you think. What is his opinions? And just for the sake of serving this, this part of the sermon well, I want to show you this in um, Luke chapter 2. And then also Luke chapter 1. We're going to go to Luke chapter 1, verse 41. How does God view this? Okay. When Elizabeth, I'm in Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, the baby, put a bookmark there, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Okay? Baby, child. The word baby is not a specialized word for the unborn. All right? It has no connotation of embryo or fetus. It is the ordinary word baby. In the Greek, is prefos. Okay? Now, this makes it crystal clear in Luke chapter 2, verse 16, when it says, this is speaking about Jesus' birth. It says, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Bookmark that. And when they had seen him, they spread a word concerning what had been told to them about this child. So, from looking at this text... Prefos in Luke chapter 2 verse 16 is also prefos in Luke chapter 1 verse 41. They're both seen by God as a child and a baby. It does not change. change. Everything John the Baptist was outside of the womb, he still was in the womb. Everything Jesus was outside of the womb, he was in the womb. I know this is uncomfortable. I know this is, don't talk about that. Don't just make me laugh. Don't talk about that. Do cup and season. Don't, don't talk about that. But this is hurting God's heart. Okay? The same pain, and I haven't revealed this. I told Tanisha, I said, I don't know if I could say this. But the same pain we felt over Uvalde is the same pain God feels about abortions. The same exact pain. Because he, he views them as Children, once again, this is not for those who committed it and who asked God for forgiveness. I'm talking to the people who are considering it because the person that you're with, you don't think is going to be a good father. God is the father of that child now. Now, science has not made this harder. It made it easier because now we can see the ultrasound. This is personal for me and my wife because we have one tomorrow. I literally saw my son in my wife's womb at nine weeks with arms and limbs. I saw him move. I saw him sucking and at nine weeks I could see it. This is personal for me because I see this child is alive. I heard his heartbeat. I got teary-eyed hearing his heartbeat, knowing that God is going to bless me with another flowers man in the earth. I saw it at nine weeks, and most abortions are after that time. How does God view it? Murder. I don't think you should say that God doesn't view it like that. When I become a preacher who does not call things what they are, I need to sit down. I need to sit down. This is not condemnation. Calling things out shouldn't make us run from Jesus, but rather run to him. How does God view it? It's a child. Prefos. In the womb, out of the womb. Same. And I'm going to dedicate a whole series where I could break this stuff down. Where then now, after you see, it's up to you. 
It's up to you. God forgives all day. This is not for his forgiveness on trial. This is for those who will consider it in the future are those who have currently considered it. This child, God is knitting together in the womb. He says, I knew you in your mother. Before you were ever formed, I knew you. So we don't have a right to say this child is not worth living. Number two, the sex trap is used to perpetuate the narrative of broken households. That's it. I want to make sure that this is another single parented home or this is another father that is not involved in the life of his children. That's the goal of the enemy. It's the fastest way to poverty too. Are y'all seeing this? I know it's getting real, but I told you, I have to tell the truth today. And also, we have to understand, wives, if you tell your husband when you get off work, you're going to give him some, do it. There's not one smile on my face. It's not going to break. Seriously. He was looking forward to that. I'm so serious, man. He was looking forward to that. It makes him feel insecure. Now, we understand the purification time. We understand if you're sick. We understand if you're even tired sometimes, but all the time. It's opening space to perpetuate a narrative of a broken household because best believe there's some floozy that will give him all the sex he wants. He has people, a Delilah, that will sex him like crazy. He shouldn't do that. He shouldn't, nor should you not keep your word. Now, fellas, too, maybe she doesn't like it. Maybe she doesn't like it because every man thinks they could kill it in the bedroom. I laid it down. If she would have tell you the truth, you really didn't. Maybe you're treating her like a porn star. Rough, trying to choke her. That's not hot to me, sir. I'm serious, y'all. That's not hot to me. You don't choke me and, and I need to breathe. I'm so serious, man. And so you haven't recognized you haven't learned her. You're using the virtual image and projecting that on your bride. And you're treating her like what you saw. And pornography is not real. If you could have a conversation with a porn star, she would tell you I had to take six pills before I did that scene. I had to get drunk before that scene. And I'm sore from all the other scenes. And I can't stand myself. And you are masturbating and looking at what's not real to where you're treating what is real like perversion. All right. I'm going to breeze through these last four. I don't have time to break them down because I'm out of time. I'm trying to think how I want to do this. I'm going to just pick it up later because I need to break them down. Was this good for everybody? Yeah.